You can have it cheap, you can have it quickly, or you can have it done well. It's the full service that I provide. Stories Podcast, your number one show for everything guitar. Hello, Guitar Geeks. This is Dan. Hi, everybody. This is Andy. And welcome to episode number four of the Guitar Stories Podcast. That's like a month of podcasts, man. It is. And actually, four hours plus. So I don't know. And it's all free and everything. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're very lucky listening to this right now. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's been here since episode one, or you've just joined us. If you have just joined us, there are three episodes you've missed out on. If you're still here, then well done. Actually, we have uh, three reviews by now on iTunes. Well, one of them's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like write any kind of text? No. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what I wrote. Something amazing, but not too complimentary, you know. All right, there you go. Well, we've got three five-star ratings, so this is pretty cool. If anyone from uh, our audience uh, feels like they want to give us a rating too, like a five-star rating, just a suggestion from my side, um, help yourself. <laughs> you know how it works. <laughs> Sorry, that's an inside joke that we will not be repeating on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely not, no. <laughs> We've been chatting about our wives earlier on. So. They won't be listening to this rubbish. We'll, we'll be safe. Yeah, absolutely not. But let's talk about guitars, Dan. Let's talk about um, something that's... Can I move on to my find of the week? Uh, yeah, please. As if that's a segment that we've just invented. <laughs> we can. And is find of the week. Um, it is a rather comically named Maverick Dorado from Fender in their, I want to say, Parallels the Universe Series 2. I will say it because I'm right. I've just clicked onto the old uh, webpage there. All you need to do really is to look at the photos of this thing and you will decide if it is the most ugly looking thing you've ever seen or something so quirky that you just have to have it. <laughs> Dan, what's your opinion? So I've been looking at it all day, looking at it, love it, hate it, want to smash it? Well, um, it's interesting. I mean, it, it definitely looks a little bit like you could play hockey with it. How would you describe the design? Because not everyone everyone knows how this guitar looks like. Okay, it's... It looks like a Mustang with some extra stuff that's been stuck on the bottom, which there was a, a Japanese... I'm just trying to find my own video from my YouTube channel. There was a Japanese version of the Maverick sort of body. I, I, I got really excited about it and made a video, and now I can't even remember what they called that guitar. So I'm desperately clicking around trying to find it. But it looks like... Um, it looks kind of the Meteora and kind of offset and... It's got it's got a um, a Mustang control plate and and switch, but it's got filter trons mm -hmm. uh, from Tim Shaw designed, and it's got a Bigsby, and it's got are you ready block inlays, which means I love it, <laughs> and then back up to your your hockey stick thing, it's got the Fender twelve string hockey stick headstock, but with only six strings and six machine heads. It's uh, it's available in gold, it's available in tobacco burst, and it's available in, in green. But what do, they, what do they call the green? Uh, I'm really into the green. I was first into the, um, into the gold. 
And this was at Nam when I was there and I saw it and it did not speak to me when I saw it in the flesh. Mm. Mystic pine green. Mystic pine green, yes. It's very green. Actually, it's it's it looks like a blend of so many shapes, like a little bit of a Fender Jaguar and uh, yeah. a little bit of Strad and Mustang. It's interesting. It's I don't know. It just it really speaks to me. Uh, oh, the Swinger was the guitar that I I reviewed on YouTube. And I say reviewed, I showed some pictures of it because it's only available in Japan that particular guitar. So the the Maverick Dorado, which is a ridiculous name, is coming in at 2,400 euros, which is about 2,000 pounds and probably 2,200 dollars um, or more or less. Why? <laughs> but it's a ridiculous price for something that is so niche. <laughs> um, however, I really want it. There is, it's one of those guitars that I do not need at all. It will add nothing to my <laughs> tool shed of guitars, but good Lord, do I want it. It's one of those few guitars that you do not need at all, but you just want it. What's interesting, I'm, I'm just uh, checking uh, pictures on a website and I see, for example, on Tomandi, uh, the back of the headstock still says R&D prototype. So I wonder how many of these they actually produced. That's a good question, but it's, it's been photographed by Toman, which means it is at Toman because that's, that's in those photos are done in the Toman photo studio in Treppendorf. Mm. And that's very absolutely a photo that's been taken in Germany. Yeah. And I was, I was on the phone earlier to, to my inside people and it has been there and I'm not sure if it's still there. So I might have to take a four hour car journey just to play it. <laughs> oh, well. But I will not be buying it, okay? So, listener, beware. I will not be buying it. That is my solemn promise to you. All right. But still, the question the question is still on how many do they produce of this guitar? Because I think it's super niche. And given the price point, it's uh, probably hyper niche. <laughs> Let's put it this way. It's got Filtertron pickups. Yeah, it's... I don't know, man. It's it's any Fender with a, uh, a block inlay neck just makes me feel funny. <laughs> and this one makes me feel funny. But generally, I love the Parallel Universe series they did the first time around, and they did the, the Jazz Telly mm. and all these strange things that basically other companies have been doing for years that Fender decided, oh, we could probably make some money out of this. And now they've done Series 2. Any other interesting models in the series? Um, I didn't think so. But then again, this one didn't speak to me when I saw it at NAMM, so I, I'm prepared to be absolutely wrong. But uh, it's... A Parallel Universe Series 1 was a, was something that really, really did it for me. Mm. And then they did... I've got a... Um, what's it called? Um, a 66. A Fender 66. Which is the... Is it Alternate Universe Series? Um, oh, tippy-tippy-tap-tap. Tap, giving away the fact that we don't know anything and we're just typing <laughs> Google while we're, while we're recording. Um, yeah. There was a another Troublemaker telly. Um... There's the jazz. It looks like a Firebird and a Jazzmaster put together. Oh yeah, yeah. There's what else was there? There was like a lead two, um, but but more like a somewhere in between a lead two and um, a Tele with filtertrons. Uh, but the Parallel Universe. What did they call it? Is it the Jagomatic or something? Sparkomatic. Oh yeah. That that looks cool. That's like Fender taking the middle section of a Firebird and sticking a Jazzmaster um, top and bottom on it. Mm. 
Hmm, I really like it the concept. Is... I really like the concept. You know, the thing with, with brands like Gibson and Fender is they always get so much hate from the community about, you know, reintroducing the same old stuff year and year. And, uh, you know, time and again, you just see another Les Paul, another Strat. And mm-hmm. then they come up with something like the Dorado and you, it's, it's quirky and you don't, yeah. probably don't really have a use for it. But I still like that kind of fresh breath of air and uh, the new ideas, you know, and different shapes they come up with. It's, it's pretty cool. But you know what? The reality probably is at two and a half grand, only very few people will be willing and able to, to buy a guitar like that. Well, I, I'm hoping that nobody wants to buy it, and then it will get seriously discounted at a certain shop in Germany, and then I'll be saying, "Hey guys, <laughs> it's six months later, but you know nobody else wanted yeah. it." Before it takes on so much dust, come on, give it yeah. to me. <laughs> you never know. By the way, are you are you paid in instruments by Toman? <laughs> uh, it it has been suggested, <laughs> and I actually. Sometimes, some months, I might end up with more money if I did that. <laughs> but this would be terrible if every podcast I bought a new guitar. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I bought a new guitar. Oh, what? What is it? It's a Fender Squire Mustang, uh, the Bullet Mustang in sparkle red. Why? <laughs> because I have the black one, and black and red are my favorite. I don't know why. It was cheap, and I want to mod something again. There you go. Like, what's what's the ultimate mod suggestion for that guitar? Do you want to just change pickups, or do you want to like put another scratch plate on it? And like, what's your idea? Uh, well, I did the first one. In fact, the first Squire Bullet uh, Mustang that I got was the thing that turned my channel from pretty much nothing into something that people thought was interesting. So there's a bit of history there for me, and I'm hoping to rekindle that sort of um, excitement. Uh, but in the last one I did, it really needed a lot of work on the neck. It needed work on the frets. It needed work on the saddles. It needed work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, I think I might go a bit more crazy, change the pick guard. I didn't change the pickups in the first one I had. I will change the pickups in this. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. But um, it'll be fun regardless. We'll do, we'll do it all together, everybody. All right. But Dan's been ill this week, haven't you, Dan? Oh, yeah. That week was pure horror. I'm glad that I'm almost recovered now, and uh, but I'm also guilty of buying a new guitar. Yeah. Like mid of uh, mid of this week, I've been approached by a nice gentleman in Austria, very close <laughs> to where you live. Yeah. And he basically asked me whether I'd be interested in buying a PGM ninety HAM, which stands for Hoshino Anniversary Model, commemorating ninety years of uh, Hoshino, the parent company of, of Ibanez. And those models, I think. Oh gosh, when when did it get released? In '94. Oh, I got I got a sneak peek because I'm not sure about that. But these models, they are, were all like they had a JS, um, a Gem, a PGM, and of course a John Petrucci model. Nice. Yeah, and those they all had special finishes, and uh, so it makes them very very limited. And it, they have a small inlay on the last fret that says 90th anniversary. Uh, so they are very, very special. And actually, I've been a couple of years ago. There was an exhibition early two thousands, like two thousand three, in Schwerin, in north of Germany. And there was an exhibition together with Meinl, with the uh, Ibanez Germany uh, distributor. And um, there was a super nice collection of vintage gear. And they had a spotlight section where they had all of the ninety HAM Hoshino anniversary models. And this caught my eye. I don't, I don't know how many pictures I took with my shitty 
uh, Digicam at that time, you know, the ones that had like one megapixels. <laughs> and <laughs> but those, oh God, the, the JS90 HAM was a model that had like a flip-flop color going from green to blue. Very sleek looking guitar with chrome pickups. The JPM model had that Picasso graphics with uh, flame maple. I remember that one. Yeah, lovely. That's the one I remember. Yeah, in Man. different shades of green and blue that look great. And uh, well, the Paul Gilbert model is also super nice. It's got a turquoise flame maple top, and um, yeah, it's just stunning. It's it's really nice. I'm looking at the photos you sent me, yeah. and um, is it actually signed by Paul Gilbert? It is. Or is that a print? Nope, it's signed by Paul Gilbert on the back. And even uh, some 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 like uh, drawings. Yeah, some kind of doodle. Yeah, some doodling. Yeah, and I think like they had three hundred thirty nine, three hundred thirty seven, however, pieces of that guitar. So it's very rare, and especially finding finding guitar. I mean, it's been released in ninety eight, and now we've got twenty two years later, and finding one of these guitars in almost pristine condition is is close to you know impossible. But luckily, this one comes with original COA and uh, looks very nice. So it's just got a little bit of uh, uh, play wear on it. So I'm, I'm blessed to have found that guitar. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's super cool. Yeah. I have a question about it, actually, Dan, that I've always wondered about the PGM. And that is the scratch plate on the back. Yeah. Is is the shape of the scratch plate on the back that, that the control panel access? Is it a joke or is it just... Um, coincidence that it looks like how it looks uh, you mean like the f holds kind of thing no, no on the back we're talking about the um the control the control panel access panel i'm going to show you on the webcam that i can see you on down oh yeah, side. yeah 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 okay um the scratch plate looks like for want of a better word a male appendage with <laughs> something hanging underneath it <laughs> You see what you see what I'm seeing? <laughs> now I can see Especially it. Especially yeah. if you're holding it in a playing position, <laughs> it looks like like a willy. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm 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 going as soon as I've got the guitar with me, I'm I'm going to replace it so we can take a closer look on it. <laughs> because I've I've met Paul a few times and he seems like a fun chap. <laughs> and that seems like a sort of fun, oh. My Siri thought I was I wasn't talking to you, Siri. <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems like something he might do. But um, anybody listening to this, have a look at that model guitar. I'm sure there'll be some photos on the Instagram as well. And let me know what you think. <laughs> or is it just my filthy mind? <laughs> it's a genuine question, Dan. So, and I'm, I'm upset that you don't know the answer. Yeah. You know what? The, the thing now is you spoiled the PGM for me to some degree because what has been seen cannot be unseen. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, and it's going to yeah. be touching you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> boy, boy, boy. Oh, well. Sorry, mate. No worries. Suddenly, my uh, my Fender is not the weirdest guitar of the podcast. <laughs> there you go. Oh. Uh, it's confession time. Uh, last week, I promised that I would put my Les Paul uh, for sale on the Behringer website, the Music Tribe, and I did not. You naughty, naughty Andy. I did not. I lied and I broke a promise. But promises are prisons, Dan. I learned that this week whilst watching Picard. All right. Promises are prisons. But I will do it. I will do it. And um, yeah. We'll we'll sell that Les Paul. Awesome. We can we can touch base on that next week. So if you put it online, then. By the way, speaking of uh, next week, 
there's something big on the horizon, right? That's right. What is it? <laughs> I'm going to England again. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a surprise for a British guy. Yeah, well, the thing is, I, I, I don't get to go home very often. And um, I'm going home for the second time in four weeks. And when I say home, to, the, to my home country. This time I'm going to Birmingham uh, to the, the Guitar Show in Bingley Hall, Birmingham. Awesome. So listening to this, if you're in Birmingham this time next week, then you see some tall, curly-haired guy running around with a camera. That may well be me. Hmm. Is there anything in particular that you want to check out? Or is it just like a family visit plus guitar show visit? Well, it started as a guitar show visit. And then in order to have the um, permission to go again, then I, I said, well, why don't we all go as a family? And then it suddenly it was it was better. So I'm taking my family with me and they're going to go with my parents for a couple of days. I'll stay in Birmingham. Uh, also, there was a very cheap flight from Vienna to Birmingham and it all sort of worked out. And within four hours, I'd booked it and we were going. Cool. Uh, but regarding checking stuff out, one thing I didn't get to check out at NAM was the stack thing from orange uh what's it called this is not a good podcast for thing for knowing things <laughs> it's the orange pedal pedal amp oh you mean like the, the little floorboard that has all the orange power in it yeah terra stamp yeah, there you go. my goodness mm. sorry sorry yeah the terra stamp is a 20 watt uh hybrid amp so it's uh it's got a tube in it and it's got an effects loop, and it's got some serious shaping. And listening to it on the Orange website, it's it's it does blues, it does some fairly clean, you know, orange cleans, and it does metal, and it's under 200 euros, mm -hmm. which um, I would have actually bought one and put one on my demo board to use during the show, but it runs at 15 volts, which I can't find a power bank to power that. And uh, that may change. I could be uh, I could be proven wrong at the show, so I, I might actually try one out. But that's that's one of the things I want to look at. The other things are the small builders that I don't get to see because they haven't yet broken out of of Britain. Um, so there's Honey Boy amps run by Andy, who's a, a friend of mine, and I have a Honey Boy amp. He's got some brand new cabs, and that's going in all the guitar magazines. And he's he's making some great stuff, but it's not in in it's not as big as it should be it's not as well known as it should be it's just beautiful beautiful stuff uh what else um i found there's some stuff by uh vintage you know vintage guitars mm -hmm. from with wilkinson stuff yep. they do a pro a pro line which i didn't know they did and they also do there's oh my goodness there's one in particular um, again, we've gone off on a tangent, so I, I haven't researched this at all. But it is a Strat and a Tele put together. Mm -hmm. Have you seen? Have you seen this? Nope. Um, let me just bring it up. <laughs> I, I'm just seeing the claim. They call, they have a claim. It's called authentic guitars. <laughs> oh, awesome! I, I like it. We should we should reclaim that word as a standard word in the the guitar. Um, uh, vocabulary absolutely yeah, they usually come up with those kind of quirky interpretations i think they had like the monterey strat kind of thing and thomas blue get a signature guitar with vintage that's right yeah 
Yeah. So it's very interesting. Uh, oh, it's Joe Doe by Vintage. And the Joe Doe by Vintage Punk Caster or Punk Caster. Okay. Vin- and I'm, I'm going to, I'll send it to you now. There's a link for you, Dan. So you're getting this as I'm, as I'm seeing it. Awesome. And it's a 50s two, two burst strat. But then imagine everything underneath the trem system has been cut off and they've stuck the bottom end of a Telecaster, a Blackguard Telecaster on it, and then done some sort of graffiti on the fretboard. <laughs> I think it, I mean, this is the week of weird guitars now, but I think it looks phenomenal. <laughs> it does, yeah. And it's £599, so it's more in the, the affordable range. Yeah. You know what? Remi- it, it reminds me of our podcast logo. <laughs> yeah, that's exact, that, that's, I wanted to bring that up. It's, it's kind of like someone saw the logo and said, oh, yeah, well, that's a good idea. <laughs> but it comes in a tweed case. It's £599. Mm. Um, it's based on a real guitar that actually was made of a Strat and a Tele. Um, by by a punk player uh, called Joe. Uh, um, what's his name? Brandon. No oh, right. Uh, okay. Brandon Hick. Brandon Hicks, and um, and then it's with Wilkinson Hardware, which means it's going to be awesome. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Wilkinson Hardware. It's it's probably my favorite affordable hardware that doesn't perform like it's affordable it performs way above the price you pay for it I'm, I'm totally digging the looks it's got like what is it a lipstick pickup on the in the neck position yep <laughs> so you got all the sounds you could imagine like through i assume it's a three-way switch so no in between oh no it's, it's a tele neck it's a tele neck uh pickup oh, in the oh, neck. okay okay and then you've got a white strap pickup in the middle and then a black strap pickup at the bridge hmm. but then you've got uh, a Telecaster control panel, which I'm guessing must be a five-way rather than a three-way. And then it's got a standard Strat vintage tremolo. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, man, it just, it does it for me. Yeah. I wonder how it really they, does how it. They, like from an ergonomical standpoint, how the, the, the lower end of the guitar will be. Is it rounder or is it as like kind of edgy as a, as a regular Telecaster would be? You mean like have they have they done? It looks like they've just taken a Telecaster and stuck it on there, so it doesn't look like there's a, a curve or anything or a body carve. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not so sure. If you look at the back, the lower horn could oh, be yeah. a little bit rounded off. But well, I'm oh, there's graffiti sure. on the back of the neck as well. I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the neck. That, how cool is that neck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's so much scribble on it. That is unique. So I, I really have to, I hope that's there. If it's not, then I'll be a little upset, but it does mean that I will be speaking to the guys um, and getting them to send me one so I can try it. There's, but if you look in that whole range, there's slightly wacky versions of Strats and Tellies. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's one called a Jailbird as well, which is a Telly that's in the same kind of vein of, you know, sort of graffiti and punkified instruments yeah um which which i'm loving and especially since um since speaking to yvette young at nam which was thanks to you dan i've got a rekindled love for instruments that are slightly punky you know just mm-hmm. noisemakers well the ibanez torman is definitely one of the punkiest guitars so 
I'm, 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 it is. Yeah. So, so you know, mentioning Yvette Young, it's pretty cool to see her uh, like picking a Tallman as her signature guitar, and in that cool slime green sparkle finish, that's definitely an, a head turner. So we we'll definitely have to do a review on your channel about that guitar as soon as it's available. Sure. Uh, to be honest, um, the price surprised me. I was hoping it was going to be a lot more affordable than it is. Yeah. Um, almost as if I hope that Ibanez do a lower priced version to make it more accessible for new players. Mm -hmm. You know, the I think that. Please, please. Yeah, it's the same with the Jiva. At a certain point, you want the artist to actually play the same instrument. So you would not go be below a certain like threshold of quality and also in, in terms of the, the parts that you're using. So um, Yvette's guitar, is the, the YY10, is basically Indonesian-made, but top-level Indonesian-made, and with all the ingredients that she uses live. So with the 5.2 pickups from Simo Duncan and the Wilkinson tremolo, and it's like a rock-solid guitar. If you pick it up, you can immediately feel that this is a guitar that's ready to go on stage, so there are no compromises at all. And like with with the Jiva 10, it's it's basically a guitar that Yvette could pick up at any guitar store and just play a clinic with it. And that's how it's supposed to be. I, I can see what you've done with it. And I, I like the way that you went into work mode then. You you had your Dan from Ivan's face on. It's, it's, a different, <laughs> it's a different face. And obviously listening to this podcast, you guys can't actually see the face, of course. But I can. And uh, it was very funny. You, you were accessing your internal um, catalog of knowledge. <laughs> but I, what I mean is I respect the fact that it, it's, I want to say, 1,200 euros yeah, in that sort of ballpark. Yeah, around that ballpark, yeah. But I would love to see, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but like a, a, a more affordable version to, to appeal to players that might actually go for a Squire or a, or a Harley Benton or an Epiphone or something. All right, well, okay. So maybe like a third of that price, like four to 500 bucks? Yeah, that that sort of that's what I was. I didn't expect that to be the price because of the Seymour Duncan's and all the hardware that I could see and I could feel when I was holding the guitar. Mm -hmm. But I think that Ibanez is missing uh, a market there by not offering the the price that can be afforded by parents for say young players uh, to begin with because it looks super cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. I hear you. Actually, yeah, we, so, see, you know, we, we see that with the Tallman basses. They are available yes. as, a, as a very, very entry-level priced guitars and, or basses in that, uh, in that respect, and they are doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking a note in business mode. <laughs> he's not. He's just looking away from the camera. He's doing nothing. <laughs> Don't give away all the secrets. <laughs> you know what? I've been, I've been, while, while we've been talking, I've been checking out the, the Terror the, 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 the terror terror stamp. stamp, yeah. And what I find interesting about that pedal is that it's got a effects loop and also yeah. a cap sim. Yeah. That's it's uh it's packed with features at that price point. It's pretty interesting. So And it's uh, yeah, it's it's hundred and eighty eight euros, which makes it about hundred and sixty pounds. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna be using I'm I'm taking a demo board with me. I'm gonna be probably using a two notes look lean as a preamp into the two notes cab M. And then I'll have space for an effects loop to put any pedals in or to put pedals in front of it or to run it through an amp. And that's going to be going through a Zoom F6. Um, so it's all, it's, I should be taking everything with me that I can make pretty good demos with. Um, but I really seriously considered using this orange Terra stamp because it's 
-hmm. it's new and i don't have one so (laughs) (laughs) i want one (laughs) yeah it just looks and i love orange stuff and yeah i I just think it's super cool and aid that designs them and works with them and the whole orange crew are amazing people and they're british and they they make me laugh it's really funny (laughs) awesome awesome by the way, I, I just looked up the Yvette Young guitar is ten ninety nine. So ten ninety nine. Well, I wasn't far off. Yeah, yeah. So actually, we should definitely get Yvette into the show as an interview guest. Yeah, a- musically, she really inspires me. I me as a person, she inspired me when I met her, and she was lovely. But also, um, there was an air of um, mystique around her. Mm-hmm. Like she, she was, she seemed a very deep person. Uh, but also very open, and uh, there is an interview on the on the Toman Guitar Channel that we just sit down and have a great chat. And I'd love to talk to her more. There's a there's a, a very deep person in there and a very skilled musician who uh, who I think she began on piano. Am I right? Or at least she she was a pianist before she was a guitarist. Yeah, that's actually makes... what what accounts for her playing because she approaches the guitar like with a two hand tapping, which is more like a piano style of playing technique yeah it makes absolute sense and, and the music's beautiful so uh yeah have, i hope have, we have can have you seen the the paintings that she does on on her, her guitars there are a few um tom and guitars that she hand painted on i have seen them and i the more i the more i find out about that woman the more i hate her because i'm like <laughs> is there anything you can't do <laughs> I, I, okay good guitar player fine i'm a i'm a mediocre guitar player that can talk a lot and then I find out someone who's a great guitar player, and then oh, they can also paint. Oh, and they also make great videos. Oh, and I she, just yeah, I'm jealous, <laughs> extremely jealous and envious. She probably also writes great poems and stories. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just making that up, but yeah. Let's see. Uh, we we get, definitely got to talk with Yvette. So Yvette, if you hear that, please be our guest on the show. Oh, would you like some insider in the in industry um, knowledge that uh, probably no one knows? Yes, let's give some industry knowledge. Uh, Jen Majura, I was talking to her last night. Jen Majura from Evanescence. Uh, her hobby, can you guess what her hobby is, Dan? Oh, you're bringing me into trouble. <laughs> She'll give me a hard time because I don't know. Uh, cooking? No, no, cooking it wouldn't be it. Uh, um, um, I don't know. What is it? It's knitting. Oh, there you go. Yeah, of course. How could I forget? Yeah, I know. I, I actually should have known. Yeah. Yeah. So what do metal guitar players do when they're not playing metal guitar? They knit. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and she makes some, she, she showed me great socks. I'm talking top quality sockage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She could probably bring out her own collection. The Gemma she Ju- should Ju- knitting yeah. collection. Yeah. Gemma Jura feet warmers. <laughs> I mean, she's got her own jewelry. Yeah. She's got a whole range of jewelry that she's selling. But imagine like her own socks. Like with Evanescence logo or the Gemma Drew logo on it? Yeah. Damn. Is you that cool if you're an artist and you don't have to like con- con- uh, connect with an external company to you know, <laughs> create your merch? You just knit it yourself? <laughs> That's all. I think she should do that. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to write to her and ask her to start doing Gemma Drew. So. There's a name there somewhere. I can't come up with a good name. It'll be plaguing my mind if I don't come up with a funny, stupid name for Gemma Drew socks. <laughs> Well, All right. you you take over a bit, Dan. Go talk some stuff. I'm going to think about socks. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, taking over. Uh, I think we can still stay in the UK. 
because last week we already teased a little bit of what you had done. Yeah. A week ago, and this also happened in the UK, and it was a great, let me put it this way, a great London idea. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I, I do. I'm just really envious that it wasn't me doing that. <laughs> so you actually recorded a whole song in the London Eye. Yeah. And we... the video is already out there on the Toman channel, and there's a uh, behind-the-scenes video on your channel. Mm -hmm. And please, 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 let me just... Uh, put a few words about this song it's such a great song i really 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 want to see that being released as a single because it's a great song it's just it's just i don't know it's it's making it made my day when i heard it first and i i, I listened to it several times and i really liked the song and the whole setting is just making me smile so great job andy great job uh guillaume and great job whole team laura and simon and all the guys so that was hats off really great great video and I've been chasing you and you've been chasing me We should be doing the right things at the right time We're doing the right things at the right time I want to be holding you and you want to be holding me We should be doing the right things at the right time We're doing the right things at the right time I don't know how deep you want to go into this And I don't know how, how much uh, you already know But it was the most difficult project I've ever worked on and so far it's hard because there's so many up there but probably the most rewarding mm. who because, came up with the idea uh it was a um a mixed we all there were th three of us at Toman that had uh, an idea for doing something for Valentine's and then uh, I remember having a conversation with Laura and then um somebody else from Toman who I won't mention because I'm not sure if they want their name to be mentioned um, <laughs> but this person signs some of the checks let's put it that way um, <laughs> they had an idea and it seemed that we all had a very similar idea of doing a Valentine's Day competition where you could win something for your partner and I suggested um, writing or taking them on a date and then the Toman hosts would perform a song that I was going to write so, you know, like layer after layer of complex um, challenges. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, um, it went really well. We had a lot of very lovely entries and lots of nice people. Um, and then we, uh, there can only be one winner and we chose one winner and they should have come to Germany. And very sadly, due to nothing to do with any political thing, but just a passport running out, um, they couldn't come because the boyfriend was keeping it a secret from the girlfriend um, and their names are Will and Alice and they're very lovely people they just couldn't come to Germany because her passport was was uh, had expired so then it was a case of a Skype meeting we're like okay this has now turned this project into something potentially far more expensive and far more fun and then like, where do you we wanted to hire uh, like a bar or something just like a private restaurant or something to to play the song and to surprise the the partner the girlfriend Alice mm -hmm. and then we realized like where can you possibly hire in the center of London a bar <laughs> or a restaurant for reasonable money I mean it's going to be insane expensive so then Laura said why don't we do the London Eye and I <laughs> well. said that is the best idea I've ever heard. 
<laughs> and um, Guillaume wasn't too excited about it at that point. Um, he was a little grumpy, actually. And Guillaume, if you're listening, you were super grumpy. <laughs> and um, it turns out the reason, or one of the reasons, is that, I mean, it was super high risk and it almost didn't work out. We didn't know until... Like we went on one rotation of the London Eye alone to get all the gear in this. We had cameras, we had lights, they were on suction cups attached to the glass, attached to the glass on the inside. We had battery powered amps, we had electric guitar, guitar, cajon, everything had to be mic'd up. We had a 16 channel recording system, all powered by battery. We had mic stands, um, we had a moving Ferris wheel. <laughs> You know, and then and how much like you got twenty seconds to load and unload the whole stuff? It, yeah, well, it moves at twenty six centimeters per second, and you have <laughs> twenty seconds to board the thing. Oh my god, that's insane! And we we were in our we had a little flat um, for for two nights in Camden Town, and we were stood there with all the gear packed, practicing getting on the London Eye. <laughs> it's like three, two, one, go! This bag, mic stands, uh, on you go, Yuri, get the cameras in. Okay, how was that? 11 seconds. Yeah! <laughs> it's like army drill. It was, it truly was. Because once we got on there, we're like, yeah, oh no, now the work starts. <laughs> the good thing is there is nothing that, that will scare you off from now on. You can do like the Burj Al Arab or, I yeah. don't know, uh, well, this Eiffel Tower. The reason I was worried about Guillaume being grumpy was that we got up there and I noticed that I looked at him and his hands were shaking as if he was going to throw up. Ooh, okay. And I'm like, dude, are you okay? He's like, I didn't mention, but I'm, I don't like heights. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, you, but he you, must, have, uh, must have had great vibrato. Yeah, he was playing slide. So it, it was, <laughs> if you watch the video and listen to the playing, that's the sound of a man who's shaking for his own life. <laughs> and it sounds fantastic. Poor Guillaume, but great, great sound. I mean, that's great dedication, sound. man. That's absolute dedication. But yeah, the oh. um, it was like every every point of risk, everything that could have not gone wrong, but every deadline was right the last minute. Like paperwork, uh, insurances, writing the song. I didn't write the lyrics until. 5 a.m. on the morning of the studio recording we did, which was at 8 a.m. And even then I didn't finish the verses. We 10 minutes before I was due to record them, I was writing the lyrics and, and writing the melody. Um, and then as we did our first rotation of the London Eye, we didn't know, we had three minutes till we were back down the bottom of the rotation, our setup rotation, waiting for the winners to come on on the second rotation three minutes before the rotation began the second one that's when we knew they were coming we didn't know they were coming until three minutes before they were due to be there so it was it was super super risky and super nerve-wracking but uh and thank you for the compliments dan but genuinely the video is superb and yuri and maurice the tech guys did an amazing job and they captured this beautiful beautiful setting uh, and it was also the, the sort of debut of, of me as a songwriter again, um, which I haven't been for, for many years. I've been concentrating on gear. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's certainly not the last. It's the beginning of something, not the end. Uh, and I'm very, very excited because that was my plan for 2020 to to use these things that are hanging around in my studio to make some music. That is a great plan and a great resolution for 2020, actually. So Yeah, well... 
yeah, po- please. Most important question: Will the song get released at some point? Uh, many. I don't want to sound arrogant, but many people have said how much they love the song and how much it makes them feel good, which I believe music should make you feel something, you know, good or angry or whatever, or or sad if you want to feel sad, but it needs to make you feel something. And people want it released. So I guess you've got to give the people what they want. (laughs) Do it, do it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll release it. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but as I said, that's the beginning of something, not the end. So, yes, I've almost said something I shouldn't say then. <laughs> so, I, I don't, yeah. I'm putting you on I the spot. I didn't say it, it though. Okay, fair enough. But actually, it's a great transition to the next topic. Do you, do you remember what uh, what happened on Valentine's Day in 2005? Did someone upload a video to a website that was about some animal at a zoo? Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you were talking about YouTube. <laughs> Strangely specific there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, correct. Which is, isn't it strange that all those kind of things happen during Valentine's Day? Yeah. The most important things. I mean, did they, they plan that or? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, YouTube is now 15, no. 15, yeah. 15 years old. Yeah. 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 15th anniversary. And so is Google Maps, by the way. You know, Google Maps is not getting the, the applause that it should. While I was in London, it said, I'm 15 years old now. Look, Great. Take me to the curry shop. Anyway, back to YouTube. Uh, yeah, this thing that I spend all, most of my days inside of yep. is 15 years old. It's it's almost old enough to smoke. Yeah, and almost old enough to drink. Yeah. Fair enough. That's so going to be a, a bad year. Can you can you imagine like like uh, let me let me um, ask you one question? Do you think that YouTube has replaced traditional TV already? Yes, maybe not just YouTube, but absolutely yes. Online video, uh, including all the streaming services ser- services, yes, mm-hmm. um, have absolutely the on-demand thing, the thing that you can click and watch when you want, and then accidentally end up five hours later still watching the same thing. TV doesn't has never had that power for me. And I guess TV had to sort of schedule its programming with daytime programming and then more you know change the almost change the the the, the way the the TV channel would be depending on who's watching at that time of the day. And I think with YouTube and other online streaming services the viewer chooses exactly what they want. Um and it's giving the the power back to the people almost. I mean, YouTube does a lot as a YouTuber. YouTube makes changes and makes things not always easy for us. Um, but YouTube is the biggest and the most popular of the streaming services that you, one can upload to. And yeah, uh, I genuinely think that. I mean, I haven't. I don't remember the last time I watched TV. Put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Same here. What what I find so striking about YouTube is that it gives you all, the, like you said, it gives the power to the people. So you know you cannot just upload, but you can view and and select whatever you want to you want to see. You can have playlists and uh, you know just store your preferred clips and snippets somewhere. You can you can share it with friends. You can comment. I mean, the comment section on a lot of YouTube videos is is busier than uh, what's going on. I don't know <laughs> on the street maybe. So it's it's, yeah, it's it's great and 
That's yeah. a dangerous place, the old YouTube comment section. I know. But but still, I mean, there are some channels, and I, I really like those kind of channels where it's a very positive atmosphere. And, I mean, mm. given that it was also one of the pre- uh, prerequisites of the uh, of the podcast to really stay positive and always, like, talk about stuff that we like instead of ranting about stuff we don't like, um, YouTube is definitely on the list with the things that are, like, positively loaded, like, it's a, it's a very positive emotion from my side because it just gives gives you so much freedom you know if, if there's a lick you want to learn there's probably a video mm-hmm. about it if there's a concert you want to see probably someone shot like at least a small snippet of it and uh, i really like the diversity that there is so every kind of niche and every kind of like special interest there is out there you can probably find except for highly special interests like xxx and other stuff <laughs> what's your what's your favorite youtube content that is not guitar or music related or does it do you have something um yeah actually lego <laughs> <laughs> as in lego animations or? no 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 not like lego movies but there are great channels uh, there's one that's called the brick story uh it's a it's a i don't know like 20 year old student who's a super He's as geeky as I uh, about Lego as I am about guitars, and every single day he puts out one video like um, talking about what kind of Obi Wan Kenobi minifigure came out, or what kind of Ninjago stuff came out, or whatever. So he's he's super deep into that, and I really just like the enthusiasm uh, enthusiasm about that. Um, so it's not necessarily about the topic per se, but it's also about the people that are behind that. And if there's someone who's just so uh, loaded and and, and so into it so so highly involved into a topic it's i don't know it, it, it captures me and, and sometimes i just stick with stuff that i have no relation at all to but it's just because of uh, how the people are narrating the stuff and how they talk about that there's also a second channel called held der steine like hero of the of the bricks uh, he's, he's got the largest lego kind of channel on it and it's just a, a dude he could be a politician like he's got He's got so much to say, and it's it's sometimes it's hilarious, sometimes it's just stuff where you think, well, he's got a point. It's uh, yeah, I, I really like those kind of channels that that kind of grab you and, and won't let you go away. What's what's your favorite non-music and gear-related channel? I don't know if I want to tell you. Um, come on, come on, come it's on. It's some. It's worse than Lego. It's it's a channel called Doctor Pimple Popper. What's it about? It's exactly what it sounds like. You know what a pimple is? It's yeah. a, a, a skin problem, and she pops them. Whoa! <laughs> uh, but not only that, she takes uh, she takes Doctor San Doctor Sandra Lee. She takes out like um, skin imperfections, so she's cutting into it with a knife, and she's bringing out these cysts. Oh! Or, or like old men with faces full of blackheads and stuff and she's cleaning them up for his wife and oh god it's it's strangely hypnotic and it's the kind of thing that i watch while i can't sleep and what's really weird is in the comments section for those videos everyone's saying it's 2 a.m go to sleep or is anyone else watching this at 3 30 in the morning i'm like yeah me <laughs> so it's basically that kind of need that you have when you have bubble wrap and you just want to do that kind of pop things is it the same uh, it is but again it's it's the person which i truly believe <laughs> okay. is, the, is the key yeah. to a, a good youtube channel Absolutely. Um, or at least an interesting one and it's that it doesn't really matter what well, what's grasped me about her is that she's doing this disgusting stuff 
mm-hmm. and she's so positive in the way she's talking to the person, the patient, and the relatives of the patient. Uh, it's it's like just having a conversation, and some like I didn't I didn't I didn't start watching it, and I was immediately okay with it. <laughs> I was disgusted at first, <laughs> but but then I was like, ah, oh, she's got a rather nice voice, and she talks very nicely. Oh look, there's a pimple gone. Do another one. <laughs> And then you're like, get that, get that one in the top left. Yes, and then, and then you've missed one. Oh, it's it's so entertaining. <laughs> Doctor Pimple Popper. Well, you heard it here. The recommendation, the Guitar Geeks recommendation of the week. <laughs> <laughs> We can probably leave like a link below, wherever you find the podcast in the show notes. <laughs> But give it, give it time. It's one of those things that you, you may not like at first. Give it time. Yeah. Do you, do you know the TV show Salad Fingers? Yes, yeah, I love that's, salad fingers. <laughs> that's pretty, pretty much alike. <laughs> it takes some time to grow on you, and then it's so disgusting, but you just love it. <laughs> ah, spoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spoons. Oh, that was that was the first episode. Anyway, this has gone a very strange direction. But I know, very... I know. Shall we? Shall we go back to YouTube? There's there's one thing that I'm like. What, was it last night or the, the night before that when I was thinking about how would how would life be especially like music and, and gear how would life be without YouTube and like I think the flip side of the availability of all this stuff out there is that there's almost nothing that is not available so I don't know if there's still the same intensity when it comes to I don't know seeing someone playing live for example like when I when I remember my first Metallica concert I was so hyped and so like I couldn't sleep the night before that because it was mm. so great going there. And nowadays, if if you want to see you know Metallica play live, you just go on YouTube and put a Metallica live 2020, and you probably find a rather decent recording of it. Do you think that like the new generation, the millennials or whatever comes after us, they will ha- still have the same like super intensified experience of being at the concert, not with your with your cell phone right in front of you, just experiencing the moment kind of thing i hope that like when technology changes severely and we have all these new wonderful things available to us it often it it gets adopted fairly quickly and then it reaches its peak point of being cool and then it reaches the point where everyone's mum and dad is doing it where it's not cool anymore <laughs> and i went to a snow patrol concert in vienna about 12 months ago And they were all guys sort of around 40 and older, mainly, you know, we're talking the majority, and almost everyone had their phone on the band, like recording video. And I, I hated every second of that part of the experience. I loved the show, the band were phenomenal, the sound was good. Uh, it was a great vibe for me and my girlfriend, but I promise you there were there were almost as many phones as there were eyes watching the concert and people were watching the concert through their phones. So that well that annoys me. That I know we're trying to be positive but don't do that. Don't do that at the concert. Um I hope so what I'm trying to say is I hope that we we get over this this hump of people recording concerts on their phones and they're never watching the videos ever again. <laughs> and so we can go back to actually experiencing music properly. Um, I know that sounds a bit grumpy, but I think I think music should really be fully experienced and shows and any kind of performance you should have your full attention on it, and 
I don't think you'll get out um, as much as you could if you're staring at a five-inch screen. Then on the dark side of that, you see the videos on YouTube where they're not well, rec not well recorded, or you know they're just a bit blurry. But having a professional camera crew there and and doing it properly or semi-professional or be organised by the band, I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, and as a as a part-time vlogger as well, I think you can get some great stuff on YouTube. I love behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, and the the fan these days, if, if you're a fan of a band that embraces YouTube and, and social media and technology, then you can get so much more a, a closer relationship with the performer. Mm -hmm. um, which, like, I'm trying to think back how that would affect me. Like, my, my number one band was Nirvana and kind of still is, but you know, I've kind of grown out of the teenage angst phase of my life. <laughs> and part of the love for that was not knowing what the lyrics were and not knowing all the information. And God, I sound old. Discovering a new sentence of information, like like one bullet point by buying a, an, a magazine. And okay, so Kurt wrote this song when he was there or that age. or And like literally scouring the world for information. And now, if you want information, you can just click stuff, and it's there, or you can watch it in the video. Yep. So there's, you know, I, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think it's a really cool thing, but also we've got to keep ourselves in in the real world and keep going to gigs and keep keep actually playing music rather than just watching it. Yep. However, yes. sorry, I'm really going on one now. As a learning uh, thing, as you said earlier, if you want to learn to play guitar now or any instrument, it is absolutely invaluable. Mm -hmm. So cool. And there's so many great teachers uh, who are offering stuff for free and then obviously upselling courses if you want them. But there's just so much free stuff out there that if anyone says they want to learn to play an instrument, they have you have no excuse. It's free. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the bright side of that is that, you know, like you said, there's everything out there and the quality is super high. Mm. You don't have to like rely on some shitty VHS cassettes <laughs> to learn stuff. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, I remember those days. In fact, I have a yeah. Paul Gilbert one. Uh, well, these are not shitty. They're great. <laughs> Mine are because they've been played so much. You know? The only thing nowadays you probably need is like some kind of navigator that shows you what is valid content and good content because like you said, there are so many educators out there and not not all are created equal, or not not mm. all are creating equally valuable content. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So uh, that can, at some point it might be a little bit overwhelming, especially for the beginners. So programs like the Fender Play program and courses like what Martin Miller and Tom Quayle and those kind of guys have that are very very well educated and 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 their stuff is very like very well told and has a very good structure. So it doesn't it doesn't put too much pressure on you, and, it, and it's you know it's it's suitable for your needs at that point where you are in terms of the playing. Uh, whereas if you just you know I don't know type in sweet picking on YouTube, you'll probably find one million hits and you don't know where to start. So if I if I may drop drop some advice because I do do that, um, I check how many subscribers that person has, because it's often like. When I when I search YouTube for a song or some kind of guitar technique, I often say, I, I go down a how to play Seven Nation Army or something, 
mm-hmm. and then it doesn't really matter of the quality um, because the the best one or the most watched one will float to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you if you're looking for specific technique advice or or how to play country guitar or whatever, then the big channels should be right at the top already. And uh, generally, a channel with many subscribers is one that people come back to because they're subscribed. So they they must be learning something from that person. Mm-hmm. But then different teachers are good for different people. So it really takes a little bit of searching. So my favorite teacher may not be yours, for example, and, mm-hmm. and it just whatever works for you. So yes, there's some discovery there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also nothing yeah. replaces a real teacher. So maybe think about getting some some advice, yeah. not necessarily yeah. from a teacher. Uh, I had one lesson at school and he set me in the corner with some chord shapes on a piece of paper and turned his back on me. And I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> oh, poor Andy. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think- then I just started playing with people and going to people's houses and, and watching their hands. Cool. So the real live version of YouTube. <laughs> yeah. But there, that's the thing. There's a there's a real life after YouTube. So basically, YouTube is a good starting platform, and but have, there's nothing comparable to having a real teacher and then adding some some quality information from YouTube. And the cool thing, and this is like a li- like it's not a life hack, but it's something that I use all the time, is just reducing the playing speed on YouTube. Like if you go 0.5 or 0.25 of the original speed. It gives you so much insight of how people are picking, how people are fingering certain lines, and uh, how how different chord shapes can be pulled off. It's it's that's a great tool, and I'm like it takes a lot of time. So sometimes you can spend like an hour on a two minute video, but it gives you so much valuable information just from watching it and listening to it. Yeah. That's yeah. Dan's top tip of the week. That's a good tip. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'd actually forgotten that. You'd be surprised how many things I've forgotten. Slow down YouTube if you want to learn something, yeah. Or if there's if there's certain channels that make I don't know forty five minute to an hour videos, you could put it on double speed, and um, get through the content a little bit quicker. Actually, I think there are a lot of people that are listening to certain podcasts on on higher speed. Yeah. Yes, they do. Well, is anyone here listening on double speed? Really. <laughs> 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 all right man we've been we've been here for a long time today i'm having a good time but yeah. I, I do feel that you know i feel that i should recommend one more youtube channel and then maybe we we move on okay and that youtube channel who has almost forty thousand subscribers <laughs> is john drink drinks water <laughs> that is amazing <laughs> john drinks water his videos are roughly 15 to 90 seconds long uh-huh. and guess what he does in these videos <laughs> yes our friend john drinks water yeah. well almost 10 years in the youtube game already i think he drank his first water in 2011 <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome it's just it's again it's it's a rabbit hole of absolute nonsense but the person yeah. makes you interested so he uploads like every time he drinks some water so there's like six seven videos per day (laughs) (laughs) it's probably a reminder for a lot of people to drink actually water i I should drink more water (laughs) i said it's i've actually actually run out of water so we're we're, we're seriously low on uh vocal lubrication all right well shall we move on to the last topic of today please which is andy's string test 
<laughs> my string test. Yeah, let's let's get it right back to the geeky guitarness. Yes. Um, I did a string test at the Guitar Summit in 2019 in September with uh, the company Dadaria, and they have some XT strings, right. which they claimed they are firstly they're coated strings, so they have all the benefits of being a coated string, such as longevity and resistance to sweat, etc. But they claimed that you could not tell a one of their XT coated strings from one of their regular uncoated strings from either the sound or the feel. All right. It's a big claim. And they had this whole stall set up with four black Fender guitars, which I'm now showing Dan, are in my studio. Mm -hmm. So I have those four very guitars. John, Jack, Jim, and James. Sit down, Jim. <laughs> and um, people were just picking up the guitars, and you had to tell the guys at Dadaria which one you thought was the coated strings very simple test I failed miserably okay I, I failed terribly and it was a total guess it was like this great work great work from from being on the floor at the show from the feel and I, I do play coated strings I, I, I sweat a lot I like the um, the advantage of coated strings unless I'm recording where I want the sound of real strings I couldn't tell on the floor that which strings were which, so I bought the, I brought those four guitars, the exact guitars, and new packs of the same strings to my studio, and I sat here for two hours with a friend the other night, uh, and he was damn sure he would find out which strings were the coated strings, and because this is going out online after my video is is online. Um, no, I'm not going to say. Go watch my video. I'm not going to say. Um, but what I will say is that Dadari have done an amazing job. An amazing job. And testing strings is something I never thought would be interesting for a YouTube video. Like, super geeky, but not sure interesting. But seeing someone try not to fail is interesting. Yeah. It was tough, man. It was so tough. Well, the, the string is basically the connection point between the guitar and yourself, like your pick or your finger. So it's mm. a very, very important ingredient. So finding the right string is definitely a tough task. But what's, what's your go-to string normally, Andy? Um, I don't want to tell you because it will... Oh, well, if I tell you, it will give away the answer of the, uh, the what, video. What, what has been your go-to string prior to the test? Um, prior to the test, uh, acoustically, I was playing Elixirs. 12 to 53s, oh, wow. the nano web, okay. because we're playing in tiny little bars in Austria where people are throwing beer and other people around. So <laughs> um, I want something that will last the gig, you know, and then maybe don't have to change for a month. Okay. And the, no one's really listening to the sound. They're just, you know, dancing around and smashing things. Uh, but on electric, I depends on the guitar because I'm super nerdy and geeky. So, you know, different strings, different guitars. On my custom shop telly, I have Fender Nichols, the 150s. And I truly believe that's the string for that guitar and mm -hmm. other guitars in that sort of vintagey uh, sort of area. Um, I'm a big fan of the Daddario coated uh, electrics. The EX EXPs? Not the EXPs. The, there's, what are they called? I'm trying not to say the name of the one that I liked in the video. <laughs> and it's really hard because it's, it's quite late at night here. <laughs> All right. Um, there's the, the New York Steels. 
NYXL? NYXL, or, or just, thank okay, you. Yeah. And I also quite like the uh, Paradigm Strings from Only Ball. Only Ball, okay. There you go. But I have, I'm looking at my guitars now. There are 12 guitars in this room, and probably each one has a different type of string on it because mm -hmm. I, I like to uh, mess around a lot. In fact, on my Ibanez AZ are some Ibanez strings that Dan gave me at TGU <laughs> 2019. Oh, that's a promotional segment. Uh, these should be balanced tension, right? They are balanced tension, yes. They're great. They feel how, great. How are they? Do they perform well? Yeah, they feel great. Um, cool. I did notice, actually, that uh, I was using mm, Elixir NanoWeb 10s on the AZ, and the G string was dead as hell. It was like it was being fretted or it was fretting mm -hmm. out. It, it sounded mm -hmm. awful. And I checked the string over. I checked it for kinks. I checked it for fault issues. I put another set of elixirs on there, the same same type. Uh, it didn't sound good. And I put then I put the Darius on there. This was an expensive experiment, which I should have made <laughs> into a video. And then I finally ended up with the Ibanez balanced. And they both felt, the Dario and the Ibanez felt good. And I didn't want to take the Ibanez off after that. So they've been on there ever since cool. yeah actually i've been i've been uh test driving the balance tension on my at 100 too and i think eight weeks of, of almost daily playing mm -hmm. and, and then during like when i was in the showroom with frank during our lunch break the high e string broke so i think eight weeks of, of playing time it's it's quite okay for a set that clocks in at 560 or something so that's that's fairly okay but Honestly, you got to say that the, all the kind of R&D that goes into those new strings that the Dario puts out in the market, it's always great. Like when they released the NYXL string, there was like a new dimension and you could really mm. tell that they are the game-changing company when, whenever it comes to, to strings. So if, if, you're, if you're looking for a premium product, then uh, those kind of strings are definitely worth a try. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to how often do you change strings. I mean, if, if you spend 15 bucks on a set of strings, you don't change every other night, you know, you, you change maybe once a month or once every, every second month. But uh, if you have an aggressive hand sweat or just you want to have a feel of new strings on your guitar, then you probably go for slightly cheaper strings and then like regular EXLs or regular slinkies or even the strings are probably the way to go because good, it's good quality. It's uh, US materials and uh, yeah, they all sound fairly good. There's for me. It's also peace of mind if you change strings. Like I, I play very heavy, and peace of mind that you know I'm probably not going to break the strings. But yeah, strings. But like I, I, I could never afford strings when I was beginning playing, yeah. let alone choose which strings I wanted. Yeah. And every gig I'd be snapping the high E, and I didn't know that it was the the bridge that was you know snagging the string. I thought it was my playing. But um, yeah, I'm on a string journey. I've been on a string journey for about 18 months now. And wow. yeah, just, just trying stuff because I can now. You know, I, I have a job that pays money so I can, I can <laughs> splash a little bit of cash on some strings. And um, You know what? What we could do, we could probably do something like a real string test. Like the both of us, we like pick 10 different brands and gauges or whatever of strings and do like every week we compare what we, what we felt and then we change so we got the experience from one week to another how does that sound sounds super geeky i love it <laughs> let's do it let's do it 
That's cool. We like each of us picks one, let's say, an electric guitar, your favorite electric guitar, and then we change strings from one week to another, and then make it like a fixed segment of the show. Is that cool? I don't know if it's cool, but I definitely want to do it. Yes. All right. We've got a new segment for the show. Let me just take a note. Andy String Test just went to the Guitar Stories podcast String Test. Yeah. And and then we share our own impressions with you guys, and uh, that could probably start like a pretty cool conversation on what kind of strings you you like. Yeah. Although we're keeping it positive, right? Because I can already think of some strings that I know I'm not going to like, and therefore I do want to share the experience. Well, yeah. We, we ain't going to say shitty things about that stuff. Oh, I am. We, we're, we're, just, we're just being objective. You are? <laughs> uh, if I choose this particular... It's not a brand of... It's not a string maker. It's a budget string. Okay. Value string. <laughs> Value. Sorry. Affordable. Yes. <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, well, well. Well, I think, well, how long is this episode? Oh, about we, three like, hours. Uh, yeah, it feels like three hours. Luckily, we already have pre-recorded content. Yes. We have a very, very wonderful interview with uh, the great guitar virtuoso named Andy Wood. You know, I've been, I've been like, chasing Andy throughout the last two NAMs. I've always wanted to talk to him. And, and finally, at NAM 2020... We had the chance to, to quickly chat and he, he played a song and I watched one of his performances at, I think, the Wampler booth. And then after that, like, there was a little bit of conversation going on back and forth and he uh, agreed to be on our show. And, uh, yeah, I'm psyched to have that interview because it was a super geeky interview. <laughs> and you know what? Andy Wood is, a, is a, not just a great player, but he's also a video game nerd. And he names his songs sometimes after video game titles. That is super nerdy. I love it. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, Halo, Halo Reach, the game? Yes. On uh, one of Andy's last albums, uh, Caught Between the Truth and a the Lie, there's one song called Reach. Ah. And, uh, it's a beautiful song, and it's named after Halo. And, yeah, it's just a dude you instantly click whenever you meet him. Like, this guy, Nick Johnson, those kind of dudes, they are... It's like our generation, so they, you know, they share all those kind of all the geekiness and all the um, enthusiasm for video games like The Witcher and Halo and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, well, anyways, it's cool to have another high-ranked guitar player as one of the like next-generation guitar heroes on the podcast. So please give it a listen. Uh, check out his website, andywoodmusic.com. Check out his uh, YouTube channel. And check out his guitar, his uh, Sir Signature. We should probably say that as well. Yeah, we talked about that. It's a, it's a very lovely guitar. It's a uh, like a modern telly with 24 frets and it's been torched before they put like lacquer on it. So it's got that kind of dark look to it. And there's an insane new model. It's called Whiskey Barrel Finish, I think. So it looks like a real whiskey barrel. Mm -hmm. So that's that's pretty rad. It's got all like the modern features you would you would expect from a guitar in that price range. It's a modern place player guitar like like the Ibanez AZs or the Tom Andersons. It's got roasted maple, stainless steel frets and yeah. I get the feeling that this is one of those podcasts that's just going to fade out with you continuing to talk about Andy Wood, and then Andy Wood just fades <laughs> well, I in. I could go on because I really love his music, and I love that dude. So, guys, thanks so much for listening. Andy, thanks for your time. Thanks for that great, great song. You're welcome. Uh, Pre-sales will go live probably just after this episode, so send me all your money. <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Um, if you like this episode, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes or send us an email to guitarstoriespodcast at gmail.com 
or just leave a comment uh, below on Instagram when we post about the latest episode. It's been a blast. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Dan. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Hello, Guitar Geeks. This is Dan. And today we're talking with Andy Wood. How's it going? How's everybody doing? <laughs> Thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today. Andy, for the few people on the podcast that probably don't know who you are, could you give us a quick rundown on who Andy Wood is? Yeah, I am from Tennessee. I grew up playing uh, mandolin and then switched to electric guitar when I was about 18. And from then pursued uh, careers as a uh, I hired gun to a lot of different artists. I've played for big rock artists, big country artists, and then uh, a, a solo career with uh, four solo albums now. So, yeah. That is amazing. And some people know, some people don't, uh, that you actually started with the mandolin and not with the guitar, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, my grandfather played bluegrass, and uh, he was a fiddle player, so played fiddle and mandolin and acoustic guitar. So when I was five or six... I started playing music with him. My cousin plays as well. And, and we just always played around the house. And then when I was 18, 17-ish, uh, I heard Brent Mason solo on the Mark O'Connor album, New Nashville Cats. The oh. song was Pick It Apart. And I had to get a Telecaster and learn how to play electric guitar. <laughs> awesome. So that would also answer my, my second question. So the Telecaster was the first real electric guitar? Yeah, I have, and I still have the, I still have my first electric guitar. It's a blue, um, just standard Telecaster. It was, it's, it's from the early '90s, and uh, it was, it's a really cool color that they didn't do a lot of. It's called gunmetal blue, Ooh. and uh, Fender hasn't made that color, I don't think, in many years. And I'm, I'm really thankful that I learned on a Telecaster first because. You know, as well as I do, Telecasters are very unforgiving instruments, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great that you still own your first guitar. So since then, I think you've uh, probably added a few more guitars to your collection. So how big is your guitar collection at the moment? Um, if you count mandolins and auxiliary instruments, you know, if you count every stringed instrument, I'm somewhere in that 19 to 22 range, 23 I have um, three acoustic guitars right now. Cool. Sorry, four acoustic guitars right now. <laughs> and then uh, two mandolins and then a plethora of electric guitars. All right. But you've always gravitated towards the T shape. and uh... Yeah. It's, in a sense, I mean, um, in my early 20s uh, with the, the Internet coming into play, Uh, I was very active on Petrucci Forum, as well as, you know, it's where a lot of us met each other. It's where Martin and Rick Graham and Tom and Andy James and I all met and became friends. And during that time, um, I was playing some Anderson, like Super Strat style guitars. And mm -hmm. I still have an Anderson. I love them. Um, I think Tom Anderson builds great instruments. Um, but at that point, John Sir was getting ready to release the Modern. And... Uh, You know, Guthrie videos were everywhere, and uh, the idea of a 24-fret guitar that still had a lot of Fender DNA in it was really attractive to me. Um, I, I never played, uh, like, Jackson's or Ibanez, like, those, those necks on those, like, 80s shred machines or whatever. They were always, like, 
thin and wide and being a mandolin player, it was never really comfortable or being a Telecaster player. It was never really super comfortable for me. Mm -hmm. So I always looked for, you know, when John was releasing the modern, uh, that was very attractive and I played one and I played those for several years, um, maybe about 10 years or so. And then when he wanted to do a signature model guitar is how I came back to the Telecaster, you know? Awesome. All right. And what makes what makes the so modern uh, the better telly? <laughs> um, you know, there was a couple of things that when when we sit down at the the drawing board that um, we had discussions with with the Sir team. Uh, I want a Telecaster to have several things that are traditional, right? I want it to have a maple neck, right? A swamp ash body, um, lower output pickups. Uh, Things like that, right? The 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 tonal uh, building blocks, right? I want them to be very traditional. Um, things that I didn't want that I thought we could approve upon was the heel joint, right? Because Telecasters have a big, square, uncomfortable heel joint, and uh, so we implemented uh, the heel joint, modified it from the modern, mm -hmm. and put that into my signature model. And uh, we put 24 frets on it because that heel joint was ergonomic and I'd been playing 24 fret guitars. Um, another thing that we did that was that, that I thought was interesting and something I really like was we kept the neck pickup placement as far north as it could go if mm -hmm. you're holding the guitar upright, right? Because normally on a 24 fret guitar, the neck pickup gets moved back a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the fret fretboard ends and there's a space and then the pickup happens, right? And so we just put the pickup next to the neck, you know what I mean? And so it still tonally sounds correct uh, for a neck pickup Telecaster uh, or as correct as it can be because of the harmonic node, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, with that, though, you have a, a end up with a guitar that's far more playable uh, in high registers. And I don't even mean just like 24 fret registers. I mean... If you're playing in pentatonic shapes like F sharp, right? On a regular Telecaster, you start feeling that heel joint. On mine, you don't at all. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I start feeling the heel joint until I'm playing in like A. You know what I mean? And that's super far up on the neck, right? It's, <laughs> it's super comfortable. But the guitar still sounds like a 50s Tele, at least the, the single coil version that I have that has my pickups that we worked on together. That still sounds like a like a traditional Telecaster, you know. And most people don't even know that mine's 24 frets until they've been playing it for four, five, or ten minutes. You know what I mean? They they it's 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 very subtle, um, but the playability is very high. Uh, the, the the radius on the neck is um, pretty flat. Being a mandolin player and growing up bluegrass, a lot of those old Martin guitars have a flat, flatter radius, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's something that I wanted. Uh, that's not traditional. So the feel and the comfort, you know, uh, are modern and the tone and the aesthetic is very vintage. So that was, I don't know if it makes it better than anything else, but it's what makes it better for me. Yeah. yeah. And how does it, like your playing has, has quite a few, like I do uh, idiosyncrasies because you are like a very, very delicate picker and all that. How, how is that reflected in, in the overall design of the guitar? Is it like, are you always have you always been used to the telly that you adjusted to to what was given to you or uh did you alter anything like st uh, string spacing or like no it's all pretty standard stuff the string spacing is very standard um one of the things uh 
that I do. Like you said, I, I, a very intricate alternate picker. I, I, I play a lot harder than people think that I play. Mm-hmm. I actually play pretty hard because, uh, because of my background on mandolin and stuff. Um, one of the things that I didn't like in a traditional ashtray on a telly is the lips that stand up on each side, you know? Mm-hmm. So on my model, we shave those out. That they machine those down flat. Mm, okay. So when I'm doing any hybrid picking or anything, there's no, there's no actual tray on the sides. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but the tray itself is still there, and it's still the brass saddles. Um, one of the things we use is this saddle that I think Wilkinson makes. That uh, once you intonate the saddle, you use an Allen wrench to lock lock, lock it down mm, because okay. telly, you know those telly T-shaped saddles. They, uh, they tend to wiggle a little bit over time with mm-hmm. playing. Um, and this prevents that from moving. Once you get the guitar intonated, you can lock it down and it stays put. So it's just things like that, just small improvements over uh, stability improvements, I guess you would call them. They're not really like uh, reinventing the wheel or anything, but it's a way to solve these tiny problems, the, mm-hmm. the imperfections of the instrument, you know. I hear you. And um, how long, like overall, took you the whole process to come up with your guitar, like from scratch when you, when you, when you said that you were at the drawing board, like figuring out what you wanted and basically you took a T-style guitar as a basis, but then you have all those kind of delicate changes? We started with a, the first prototype was not the single coil with the ashtray version. The first prototype was two humbuckers and a Goto 510 tremolo. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so when I saw you at NAMM and I was playing in the Wampler booth, I was playing the humbucker version with the tremolo. Yeah. And that thing took about six months. And then when we did the sister guitar to it, which had the ashtray and the single coils, it took a little bit longer. Um, I don't really recall, but I think we had both versions in a year. I want to say that was right. Oh, wow. Um, But, it, you know... It took uh, the the ashtray and the single coils took more time because I'm picky about that bridge pickup in a single coil. Like there's a specific sound that I'm looking for. And uh, when it comes to that traditional telly thing. So, you know, refining that and getting it right. We went through, I think, four pickups before we got we settled on the one that uh, that's in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, you can get the guitar in two versions. Um, And. uh, yeah, so it's been a fun process, and the guitars are uh, well received from the public and dealers. So I'm very thankful about that. You know, people seem to like it. Yeah, the visuals they are striking, especially uh, with the with the cool satin look and uh, the body that's been torched prior to putting the lacquer on it. Who came up with that idea? That was just kind of uh, one of the things that I wanted. Uh, I, a lot of my Sir Moderns have the really beautiful quilt tops, you know, uh-huh. and they look. They look super expensive, like a lawyer or doctor would, you know, <laughs> buy it hanging on their wall or something. Yeah. And every photo that I would see with me on stage, I was like, the guitar looks way nicer than I am. <laughs> so I was like, I need something that's a little more. Um, I kept going back to the uh, the image of a 60s muscle car, like a 1960s Mustang. You know, uh-huh. I was like, it's 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 raw and it's honest. And uh, there was something about seeing that wood grain uh, that that felt like, oh, this piece of wood you know isn't trying to be anything it's not you know what i mean and i wanted it to just look like a muscle car so (coughs) that flat finish and the and the silver was the first the flat black and the silver was the first one that we did 
And then I'm a comic book fan. So when they asked for a second color, I chose to go with red and gold um, for Iron Man. So like that, that's that's how we came on the red and gold. And now we offer the whiskey barrel finish, which is like that that chocolate charred looking finish. And uh, it's just kind of a tip of the hat where I live. It's not too far from where Jack Daniels whiskey is made. So I figured that was a cool little nod to Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, we all, we've got a brand new color that can only be ordered through Wildwood Guitars that is orange and white. And I just I, I like I like orange, so. Oh, I didn't even know that that existed. They, they, I think there's only two right now. It's, it's an experiment we're messing with, um, offering dealers uh, a color that you can only get just through that dealer. Mm. Um, and Wildwood is the first one that wanted to try it. So, uh, yeah, there's a video circulating that just came out last week from Wildwood's webpage, and it's me and Greg Cock, and we, we have the guitars, and we're playing the orange Wildwood models. It's pretty cool. Awesome, got to check that out for sure. Is there when you when you reconsider your albums that you record, like the disconcerting Almagam and uh, Life at the Bijou, which is a great life record, by the way, and now the latest album Junktown, has your need in the guitar somehow changed or developed from from A to B? Like how yeah, that yeah, definitely. Um, disconcerting Amalgam was written, recorded, um, produced, mixed, mastered in about ten days. I did that as as efficient as I could because I was young and I didn't have a huge studio budget. So we just had to do what we could do in, in, in 10 days. And, uh, I look back on that kind of fondly, but also kind of embarrassed, uh, in two ways. Um, it's a snapshot of who I was at 25 years old, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, but also that 25 year old was trying to play in every odd meter, trying to play every note possible, trying just overplaying. That record <laughs> is a lot of overplaying. And I look at it now and I go, geez, man, I need to, let lay off the coffee before I recorded that, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, now it's like I, I've focused my efforts into writing more memorable songs and hooks. Um, there's a, a motto that I kept telling myself when making Junk Town. I was like, people need to know when the guitar solo starts, right? And the irony is, is the whole song is a guitar solo. But in a great song, like a great, like when I look back at like, You know, my favorite players like Eric Johnson or whoever, you know, or Steve Morse. You can always tell the song and then when he starts soloing over the song. You know what I mean? So I mm -hmm. kept that, that very important, simple mind, simple mindset. But I was like, these songs need to be strong melodies first and then um, have moments where I can, you know, try to impress my peers or try to impress other guitar players within that. But they need to be songs first. So I think that's the mindset that has evolved over the years. And now I'm in the process of just starting to break ground on my new record. And it has become from uh, uh, working with banjo players and fiddle players in my live band. And so now I'm, I'm, the sound is definitely taking a huge um, uh, page from the Dixie Dregs. You know, obviously implementing fiddle and, and rootsier instruments with, uh, with electric guitar rock fusion type music mm -hmm. instrumental music yeah so so yeah as, as that as that mindset changes then so does the tools needed to try to accomplish those musical goals mm -hmm. if you had to recommend your fans like three albums that shaped your playing style and your musical taste uh, the most which three albums would that be um avia musicom by eric johnson uh -huh. brent mason's hot wired all right 
and Tony Rice's Manzanita. All right, you heard it. <laughs> Check those, those are the three, out. I think. Oh, right off, right off the top of my head. I mean, you could ask me, you know, in, in ten minutes and might get a different <laughs> answer. But that's those are the when I think about like, you know, we have those records that are like so important to us. They make us lock ourselves in a room and 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 play for eight hours a day. Those are the records that did that to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your pickups called the woodshed. Did you have like a specific woodshed phase where you would just lock yourself in a, in a room and, and practice your ass off? I sure did, man. Like, I, I think from that that formative uh, 17-year-old, 16-year-old self to like discovering the electric guitar to like the 22-year-old self that got on Petrucci forums, 23-year-old self, like those 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 years, man. Like for when I first met all those British dudes and and Martin, uh, I always call it the British dudes and Martin. Um, <laughs> but when I when I first met all those guys, we all came together. I, I, that was just like one of the most beautiful moments of the internet, and it also was one of those things that just made me want to play twenty four seven. Yeah, awesome. And, and and I've worked professionally playing music since I was seventeen. Um, so when I wasn't playing the music and practicing, I was literally getting paid to play you know what i mean so i really was like doing the woodshed thing and and, and uh, for those that don't know and maybe international listeners uh the being in the woodshed is a term that we use in the states as practice time you know so obviously with the phonetic of my last name i thought that would be slightly clever to name the pickup that <laughs> 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 of course. Um, so whenever you whenever you have a new guitar in your hand, is there any kind of go-to lick or riff that you play that is like your, I don't know, like I said, like go-to riff that helps you? The test the guitar? Like yeah. The, te the, the guitar test lick? Um, yeah. So, so yes and no. Um, I'm going to say, first off, if the guitar is really, really special, And I don't really have a criteria for that. I just, if it's special and it, and it speaks to me, right? Um, it will tell me what to play. And I know that sounds dorky, but I can usually just hold a guitar and hit an A chord or a G chord. I'm talking cowboy chord at the yeah. end of the neck. Nothing <laughs> fancy. You know what I mean? Cowboy chord, open. Open chords. Yeah. And the guitar, the, 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 the guitar will tell me what to play. Um, I recently... Uh, this time last year came into possession of a Collings, I think they call it the I-35. It's basically their 335 copy. So whichever, whatever the numerics they use, I know they would kill me for not knowing it, but I think it's the I-35. It's just a 335 style guitar. And it as soon as I pulled it out of the case, and I didn't even play like me. I was trying to be Robin Ford and Larry Carlton. And, and you know what I mean? It told me what to play, you know? And I feel like a great Stratocaster will tell me what to play. Mm -hmm. um, I think when a guitar is good and not spectacular, but a good guitar, I will see if I can coax out the things that I like to play on it. And if I can, then it will be acceptable as a good guitar. And if I cannot, and it maybe has dead spots or unplayable, I, I, it will then not be a good guitar. So um, there's no specific lick per se. I've, I obviously have a bag of pet licks that I love, but like I don't really test guitars with licks. Mm. I try to, uh, you know, just play a bend or I, I go really simple when I'm testing guitars. I don't, uh, I think a lot of guys um, maybe uh, like 
guys that I've seen at Nam, no matter which guitar they play, they always try to do their same tricks on it. Mm-hmm. And guitars are like people. They're they're so individual. You know, it's like your super eight fingered, super duper flashy tappy tappy stuff. That's not gonna fly on a Telecaster into a twin. You know what I mean? And it's not really gonna fly on a, a you know, a low output whatever into a tweed style amp. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like it, it's knowing also that your hillbilly country, you know, Brad Paisley licks, they're not gonna really work on a comparison into a diesel. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> it's knowing it's knowing the environment that you're that you're in and trying to get the gear to um shine essentially you know what i mean like play to the gear versus mm-hmm. trying to like brute force a style into the wrong sound you know mm-hmm. yeah. so talking about special guitars is there any guitar that you always wanted to have and uh, you don't own yet yeah absolutely it's really funny so have you ever seen the movie um gone in 60 seconds with nicholas cage where he's got to steal all the cars in one night have you ever seen that movie i know Okay, so basically the plot line is his brother gets in trouble and he's got to steal 50 cars in one night for this, like, gang lord, right? <laughs> okay. And he's a lifetime car thief. And he's he's never been able to steal a 1967 Carroll Shelby Mustang, right? For whatever reason, the, the theft always goes wrong. And the whole movie builds that that car's, got, that car's on the list and he's got to steal it, right? And so the whole movie builds to the end where it's a big, huge chase scene and he calls it his unicorn. No matter what happens when he tries to steal a car, something terrible goes wrong. That thing is a Gibson Les Paul Lemon Burst for me. I've right. never had one. Every time I've had the money to, to buy one, um, I haven't found a good one. It would be like I would find one that was the right color and it didn't sound great or it didn't play great. And every time I never had the money and I never had any extra money to spend, I would always come across a lemon burst last fall that was phenomenal. And so th- to this day, I always feel like Nicolas Cage in that Mustang where it's like a lemon burst Les Paul is my unicorn. I'm just, I, I, I it comes in and out of my life at all the wrong times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And is there any piece of gear that you regret selling at a certain point? No, not really. I've had some really cool guitars that I sold, but they just didn't stay for whatever reason. I guess the closest to regret is I had one of the, I'm a huge Eddie Van Halen fan, like massive, I, I, massive. And um, I had one of the purple Ernie Ball Eddie Van Halen guitars. And right. I sold it years ago when I was, uh, you know, funding other needs musically that I needed tools. Mm-hmm. Um, now at this point in my life, I'd like to have it because I'm an Eddie Van Halen fan. I just want that guitar again because of, you know, collectability. I'm not really a collector. So, you know, I, I would never, I was not going to play a purple Eddie Van Halen Floyd Rose guitar on stage. It's not for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I'd love to have it because I'm an Ed fan. So I think that's the closest to regret. Awesome. Now those were great guitars. Yeah. Great guitars. So what is your desert Island pedal? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, some sort of uh, let's see, let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna set some rules for that question. Okay, right. I think I could I think I could be very clever and say fractal accent, right? Because it gets every. <laughs> I can I can have a little bit of everything, right? That that doesn't count. That's cheating. So let's not cheat and say that I get one pedal. Um, 
And I'm also going to take out what I'm working on with Wampler. That's not allowed to, to be because we were working on a pedal together. Okay, mm. so that's out. Um, I would say maybe just the, the Wampler Pinnacle. Okay. Um, the one with the three band EQ, they, they, that thing's had a million different versions, variations. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think desert Island, I think on that Island, all there is is a fender twin. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know what I'm saying? It's not like a desert Island that has a Herbert on it, which is multi-channel. <laughs> you know, we don't get those luxuries on desert islands. They, this is a backline Island where they have a fender deluxe, you yeah. know, or something like that. <laughs> so I would, I'm assuming that those are my, my rules for, for desert Island. So I would say that the Wampler pinnacle. All right, cool. I think that's a pedal that you also presented at NAMM, right? Yeah, um, I was playing that. Uh, I like their Tumnus a lot. It's a Klon kind of copy. And if I have some kind of amplifier, like a JMP or a Plexi or something that's already overdriven, mm-hmm. uh, a Dumble or something like that, I, I like a Klon in front of it. I think that's a really cool sound. It gets it really singing and very musical. Um But with that said, uh, you know, I think pedals are are lately one of my weaknesses. I've gotten way into enjoying all the, the facets of pedals and all the different ones. And and I've been on a, a kick lately. So, <laughs> yeah. And what's your, what's your go-to amp usually? Um, To do my solo stuff, I use, uh, lately I've been using the 50-watt Sir Hedgehog. All right. Um. I run it fairly clean, mostly clean, and then hit it with pedals. Um, when I do hard gun gigs, I try to play the appropriate amp to the gig. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing rock stuff, you know, play a rock amp. If I'm doing country stuff, play country amps, etc. Mm-hmm. And are you a guy who uses the the effects loop, or do you put modulation effects before the amp just to be sure how the, how everything works? It depends. Um, with my stuff, because I'm running the amp so clean, I can just put everything in front of the amp. All right. Um, With uh, like the Rascal Flats gig, I used uh, two heads at once. I used a, a amp built by Kyle Rhodes, the Colossus, mm. and I used a Diesel Herbert, and I used those in stereo on a 412 each. And then I had huge rack full of stuff, and effects loops were used. Awesome. All right, that's a very nice setup. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it was beautiful, and it's so clean. And, and a guy named Brad Bohannon built the rig. It was it was immaculate. We used an Access uh, FX1, I think it was called, for the controlling out front. It was a beautiful rig. Still have it. I just, you know, I'm not I, in, in arena mode these days. You know, so I'm not. I'm. It's a. It's overkill for many situations. Awesome. All right. Um, since you are a big movie fan and also gaming fan, just a few like quick questions before we close the interview. So Star okay. Wars, Star Wars, or Star Trek. Star Wars, come on, not even a question. <laughs> Baby Groot or Baby Yoda? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> Baby Yoda. <laughs> All right. And now this is the toughest one. Who, from your point of view, is the Luke Skywalker of the guitar world? Who is the Luke Skywalker of the guitar world? Oh, I wish you'd have said who's the Obi-Wan Kenobi, but I'll, I'll play Luke. Um <laughs> Luke Skywalker of the guitar world. Um, gosh, at what point in Luke's life? You know, that's the other thing. Well, um, may- maybe at the end, but you can do both. You can also have like select uh, Luke and select Obi Wan. <laughs> okay, so Obi Wan Kenobi is easy. Um, that's Andy Timmons. Oh. Uh, 
Andy Timmons is the nicest guy in the in the guitar industry, no question. And over the past few years, I've become friends with Andy, and I've learned so much from him. Just I've learned so much from Andy, and uh, I always I always call him Obi Wan. I was like, "You are my Obi Wan. You're 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 the Jedi Master." And I think Obi Wan's just outlook and everything. I just that's Andy Timmons. There's no question. As far as Luke. Um, that's tough. Uh, I, I don't have to seriously think on that. Um, when I think of Luke, I think of definitely a young player. I think of someone who's coming, uh, maybe coming up in the game and, and that kind of thing, you know, or maybe someone who has an evolution of sound. So maybe I would think of like Luke Skywalker, um, young Luke Skywalker who blows up the Death Star is like Eddie Van Halen in 1978. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then as Luke gets older and matures, it's like Eddie Van Halen getting older and reinventing himself and then becoming a more polished sound, more polished player for unlawful carnal knowledge. That's like Jedi Master Luke. Yeah. So I would say Ed is the Luke Skywalker. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Andy. Um, what's up for 2020 for you? Are you touring? Or is there anything coming out in terms of new albums? Yes. Yes, there's so much cool stuff this year. I'm going to just blast you out with a couple of things. Um, we are, I'm doing a lot of clinics with Sir. Keep your eyes on my page. I've just got a brand new website, andywoodmusic.com. We've got all of my stuff in one place, finally. I had to get a really great um, web guy to put that together. But if you want lessons, videos, schedules, merch, all that stuff is now in one nice spot. Uh, with that said, doing a lot of clinics with Sir this year. We have some very exciting products coming around the corner. I'm not at liberty to talk about. I wish I could because they're gear stuff. But Damn. working on new products with Wampler and Sir. Just keep your eyes peeled. Um, a couple of fabulous clinics. I'm going to blast those out. One is in Corfu, Greece. Um, it's Yeah, so Nick Johnston and I. Nick is the first week. I'm the second week. There's only 20 slots. It's a very uh, high-end Uh, it's on Corfu Island. It's beautiful. They've had all kinds of different players in the past, ranging from Tony McAlpine, Bumblefoot, et cetera, et cetera. And definitely jump on that, the Corfu Island School of Rock or something to that effect. Uh, you can find it from my page or just Google Corfu, uh, you know, the rock guitar camp or whatever. And then the other one is in August. Uh, one of my biggest heroes, John Petrucci, asked me to be a guest at his uh guitar experience wow so that's in irvine and that is going to be john myself plenty mateus asado tom quell tosin abasi there will be no shortage of notes oh, that yeah. week in irvine california that's for sure <laughs> that sounds ridiculously good well andy thanks so much for taking time Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah, and I uh, hope to see you soon. Um, I hope you have a great rest of the day, great week, and uh, yeah, see you around. Thank you very much for the interview. Thank you so much, my brother.